Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 309 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. It got cold today. <laughs> it did get cold today. We've got the like, classic Cleveland, like last night as I was walking my dogs, it was like 45 or 50 degrees. Woke up this morning, it was like 20. I was, like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it makes sense. It's winter, but it was, if we can stop with these wild swings. Well, I'd... the groundhog said... Spring is coming early. Well, so if we believe the rodent in Pennsylvania, <laughs> but, um, which is debatable, but yeah. if we believe the rodent in Pennsylvania, <laughs> there's no way this winter is ever gonna end. Oh God, I love that movie. I know. I haven't watched it yet. I'm gonna. I'll probably watch it this year. I was or somewhere. Year, I week. was somewhere on Groundhog's Day, and they were playing it. Don't remember where. Makes sense. It's so good. I love it so much. It's that. It's. Probably like a top three movie for me. I love it so, so much. Good. It's a really good Bill Murray. Um, before I talk about what today's interview is, do you want to let people know where they can find us and all that jazz? Sure. You can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com. From there, you can get all of our social links. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Uh, we have a vibrant community where you can come and chat books with us. And you can email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. So, Okay, so today's episode is an interview I did with Leif Shawcross. Uh, she is an Australian author who wrote a book called The Beast's Heart, which is like a Beauty and the Beast retelling from the Beast's point of view. Um, that was the entirety of the pitch part of the email that I read when they asked me if I want to interview her or something. I'm a sucker for a retelling. And I'm a super sucker for a retelling of a um, a fairy tale. So it's really good. We had a lot of fun. Uh, some really cool things that we discussed uh, briefly. I was just talking before we started recording. Jim Dale is doing her audiobook. He, of course, of Harry Potter audiobook Incredible. Fame. Yeah. So she said she's like when they pitched him because he was interested because he'd read the book or something. She like had a panic attack and was like, uh... Yeah, I guess that'd be okay. So. <laughs> but no, the, the book is really interesting. Um, she talks about the book starts before the Beauty and the Beast story that you're used to, and then it also continues on after where like the movie and the traditional story ends. So I think people really, really like it. Um, it's good stuff. Uh, so that is the interview that's today. Is there anything else you think people should know about? I feel like we don't have anything going on for like the first time in months. I don't think we have anything going on. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um we still have, of course, our 2019 Professional Book Nerds Reading Challenge. And if there's librarians listening, I want to let you guys know we're actually having our um, like outreach services team is making some uh, marketing resources for that. So if you guys want to promote it in your library, those will be available shortly. That's good to know because that is a follow-up to a question I meant to ask you but forgot about. <laughs> so we've had a couple of our account managers Correct, that is <laughs> send me messages be like, hey, do you have any materials for that? And we're like, nope, kind of made it up on the fly. Jill put the, power, the PDF together herself. One came through when I was in Seattle and I totally did not respond to it. <laughs> like because I, I was in Seattle, like I forgot. I didn't mm-hmm. like ignore it, but I forgot. And I kept meaning to be like, Adam, did someone yep. so? <laughs> yep. So we're going to make Great. Those. 
<laughs> I mean, those will be made by like the middle of February, so there's still plenty of time. As we mentioned, there's only 12 challenges, Correct. so people can get to them. I, I, I believe in you. Um, so as soon as those are up, we'll let everyone know. We'll probably put them on our website and the Resource Center and all that jazz. Um, and speaking of that, we'll, we'll do some, uh, some challenge uh, suggestions in the near future. I think I said Thursday, but I also think we had something planned for Thursday, you said. I don't know if we've quite figured that out yet. Yeah. we. That's not a surprise. We never do. Um, okay. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. Cool. I hope you guys enjoy this interview with author Leif Shawcross on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's Adam again, and I am incredibly excited to be joined by Leif Shawcross, who is a writer of fairy tales and dark fantasies, whose debut novel, The Beast's Heart, was released internationally in 2018 and comes out uh, this week in the United States. So thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording. I wonder, I'm wondering if people are going to be able to hear it. I can literally hear like, the rain and hail going on right now in my uh in my office so i'm hoping it doesn't show up but you guys are in the middle of your summer right now correct because you're in australia we we are yes we had we had a massive thunderstorm yesterday though but it was like one of those big summer thunderstorms so it's it was being quite muggy and steamy here yeah but see that's that's the time where you're supposed to have it whereas if i feel <laughs> i'm all off kilter right now with all this but that's okay <laughs> So, would you mind kind of getting us started by giving us an introduction to your book? It has a really, really fun idea behind it, and I want you to kind of get to tell that part. Uh, sure. Um, okay, so uh, The Beast's Heart is is a retelling of, of um, the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale, um, but it's told from the Beast's perspective. Um, and uh, I guess in my story... Um, Winning, winning Beauty's heart um, is is only the first step for him. It's it's an important step, but um, there's there's other challenges he has to overcome. So obviously, I I feel like if people don't know the story of Beauty and the Beast, they've been living under a rock. So we don't have to dive too much into that. But what was it about Beauty and the Beast that made you want to retell it? Is this a story that you've always loved as a reader? Yeah, yes, yes, it is. Uh, look, I'm, I'm a complete fairy tale tragic. Um, <laughs> I love fairy tales. Um, uh, but Beauty and the Beast um, is one that I, it's a particular favourite and it's one that I have sort of revisited a few times. I've, I've you know, written a few short stories about it as well um, and written plenty of novel. Uh, sorry, read plenty of novels <laughs> um, <laughs> about it. Um and, and I think one of the things I just love about it is it's it's one of the few fairy tales where the protagonists actually get an opportunity to fall in love. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't kind of see each other across the room and, and, and that's it. They, they actually sort of get to know each other and then fall in love properly over, over a period of time. And um, and that, that really appeals to me. Um, the other thing I love about, um, I love about Beauty and the Beast is this, this that, that sort of idea of, of the beast's kind of castle being this, this kind of hidden sort of secret world at the heart of the forest, that, that I just love that. Well, and you do some really fun things with the castle and the, the grounds around it. It's almost like 
you chose to make that a character in the book itself, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I look, my favorite stories are the ones where the story world actually is it becomes a character in the story so i mean you know harry potter is a classic example of of how well that works i mean hogwarts is a character Mm -hmm. and um one of my favorite stories growing up was um the the secret garden Mm -hmm. by um uh francis hodgkinson i think Mm -hmm. um and, and in that, like, you know, the garden itself is this character that kind of changes and transforms over the course of the story. And so, so yeah, for me, the, the, the castle and the gardens were an important character. I, I love that it's, it, it's almost like they're, it's temperamental. Like they, you know, if the beast does something or he says something or he's pouting, it, it's almost yep. like the, I would just love the idea because then, you know, when people, obviously when people think of Beauty and the Beast, they're initially going to think of the Disney version, and there's, uh, yep. you know, there's Lumiere, and there's Cogsley, yep. and there's... Cogsworth. Yeah. Right, and, um, yeah, Cogsworth, not Cogsley. Come on, Adam. Um, but, <laughs> and you have these kind of unseen versions of all of those characters, but there's also, it feels like the castle in of itself is, like, pushing the characters together. Yeah, yes. Yes, when he when he you know sulks or does something that he shouldn't do, the you know the the, the castle lets him know mm-hmm. that um, he needs to behave differently. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. <laughs> so so, what made you want to tell the story from the beast's perspective? Um, I guess I guess I just. I just look. This is the thing that I love about fairy tales: um, is that um, there's always a fresh way of, of looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, you know, I've read quite a few stories. Of, um, uh, Beauty and the Beast is usually Beauty's story. It's mm-hmm. usually her story, and I've read quite a few versions um, from her story. And I think one of the things, one of the things that um, bothered me a little bit about the the original fairy tale. It's, it's sort of resolved in various different ways in different versions that you read. But um, one of the things that does bother me about the original fairy tale is this idea that you've got the beast who's done something so awful um, that some fairy or sorceress or witch has, has, has decided the best course of action is to, like, quarantine him mm-hmm. from humanity like a hundred years but it's not he's not and this so he's probably done something terrible it's not not you know even you know pinch a packet of chips or something yeah. he, he he's done something terrible and but but the story the resolution of the story re- revolves around him actually having a redemption arc and kind of coming back from that but but it, it always seemed to me to be a bit of a, a conundrum if, if he's done something that awful how could he ultimately you know um be rehabilitated and, and and end up being a nice guy. So, so that was that was um, that was one of the things that I really wanted to interrogate. How could you have this person? What kind of person would he have to be to be able to make that that journey? Mm-hmm. I, so, I, I, I was yeah really fascinated about about sort of delving into his perspective and finding out what he thought about the whole thing. <laughs> so before we start recording, I told you my wife is a huge Beyond the Beast fan and. 
she was the one who was like, when I showed her the, the copy of your book that I got, she's like, okay, you have to do this interview. And I said, absolutely. And then she and I got this big argument because I have, depending on which version of the fairy tale you read, it's my contention that obviously he treats, you know, the, the beggar at the beginning very poorly, but I've told her, I was like, he's, you know, protecting his castle. He's trying to, I, I almost told her it's almost like a Trojan horse sort of a thing where like that person coming in could have been something that ends up being a horrible, horrible situation for them. And like I said, obviously he treats her horrible, but like we had this big argument that I am of the belief that while he didn't have the greatest manners or anything, I feel like a bit of an overreaction to just turn him into a beat, like to do what she did to him. <laughs> Look, I think that's fair. Um, but in her defense, in my fairy's defense, she's a fairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess I, I really like, um, I really like fairies who are just completely mercurial. Who you can't kind of tell which way they're going to jump. Mm-hmm. They just—they're really impulsive and um, totally amoral. And um, they might be nice to you, or they might be nasty. So my fairy is a bit like that. My fairy is a bit like. Well, going to curse you today. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, my wife told me that I'm absolutely wrong. Like she, she refused. To, <laughs> she wouldn't hear my argument. She refused. So. <laughs> But you touched on a really good point, though, about fairy tales and and the characters in them. Do you think one of the reasons that people continue to love these stories so much is that they are, like, they always teach a lesson of some sort, it seems, but they they really are, it it kind of flows between good and evil so much. Like, do you think that's one of the reasons that people continue to love them so much? I think, I think um, fairy tales um, are such... And, and and I guess when I'm talking about fairy tales, I'm talking about a particular sort of group of, of stories that make up sort of a, a, a Western um, storytelling canon. Mm-hmm. So every, every culture will have their own sort of, you know, um, mythos and their own sort of um, canon. Um, but for Western storytelling, fairy tales contain this really sort of powerful set of sort of motifs that, that we see sort of, you know, used again and again. And I think the really beautiful thing about fairy tales is um, people are generally pretty familiar with them. So, you know, if you talk about a poison apple or a glass of bar, people already, they, they know what you mean mm-hmm. um, by that motif of fairy godmother. You know, they, they know what those things mean in the context of, of how they affect the characters in a story. Um, and you can, they're so powerful, you can play with them and you can... And, and they come with a set of expectations that then gives you something to kind of play with with mm-hmm. the reader. So you can you can take those set of expectations and you can fulfil them, or you can you can upend them, or you can twist them around and <laughs> create a surprise. So, um, um, or you can, and, and so they're kind of they come with these beautiful layers as well. So, so you know. I mean, most people will know the story of, of Beauty and the Beast and I guess, you know, offering up a, the Beast's perspective on the story is um, is just a way of, you know, giving the whole kind of Beauty and the Beast, um, you know, patchwork quilt, you know, mm-hmm. just another layer. It's, it's another patch in the quilt. Yeah. So, well, and, and like you said, and when people start reading the book, they'll realise that the, you know, Beauty and the Beast falling in love, it, it, that's not the that's not the end of the story for yours. And I think that is something where 
when people see these stories that they've resonated, that's resonated with them for so long, Beauty and the Beast, obviously being one of the main ones, and really any of the Disney fairy tales, just because of how Disneyfied our entire lives are, I feel like when you see a retelling like that, people are, especially if they love fairy tales, they're inclined to give it a try because they want to see what an author like yourself is going to add to the story. Because you know, no matter who, you know, I know that no one's just, no publisher is just going to say, yeah, retell Beauty and the Beast verbatim yeah. and then send yeah. it out so yeah exactly exactly that's not fun we've, we've been there, so. <laughs> although that probably well, would yeah, I was gonna say, I was, it probably would still make you know sell a bunch of copies but yeah but, but it is more yeah. i think it really is interesting it's it's as a reader you want to see okay how is the author going to play with the structure that i'm familiar with and yeah. what are they going to add to it I mean, is that what you look for yeah. when you're finding retellings to read yeah um yeah uh definitely for fairy tales it's like well what is what is i i I sort of talked before about that idea of you know there being a patchwork quilt Mm -hmm. and i I love that metaphor because i i think that's that's how fairy tales work it's you know and it doesn't matter which kind of edge of the quilt you start from you know you can there's so many different ways of looking at stories and different things you can sort of interrogate in the story um but certainly um, one of the things that I particularly look for in, in anything that I read is just something that's really immersive, something mm-hmm. that I can really lose myself in. And and I guess sort of going back to thinking about, you know, why I picked Beauty and the Beast in the first place, why I wanted to write that story was I, I, wanted, I, I, I wanted to lose myself in that fairy tale. So mm-hmm. me, initially when I started writing the novel, it was just a really self-indulgent way of just kind of you know, going and living in a fairy tale for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, you know, then, then that poses all these sort of story problems that you have to, you have to resolve. So, yeah. So. Having a story that obviously is, you know, at least the bones of it is so well known to begin with, from a writing kind of the craft of a standpoint, did you feel that was, you know, you you needed to kind of keep that skeleton of the story there or I guess just from like a writing standpoint, how far did yeah. you feel you could stray from the story and still consider it a retelling? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, look, I think, um, the beast heart is pretty close mm-hmm. to the, I, I certainly use the, the sort of the, the 18th century versions as, as my skeleton for this one. And it's reasonably close. It, it doesn't kind of, there, there's ways in which it, it um, diverts from, from those, those early versions. Mm-hmm. But, um, but this one was previously pretty close. And, and so, for example, I've said it in 17th century France. So when people think about the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale, they often think about 17th or 18th century France mm-hmm. as, a, as a setting. So, so I've kept it pretty close in that respect. But um, but as I said, I like I play with fairy tales a lot in um, in the stories that I write, and um, and and that's not I don't always make that choice when mm-hmm. I'm retelling a, a fairy tale. And I think I think too there's a difference between um, a retelling, and I would probably cast the Beast's Heart more as a retelling mm-hmm. of a fairy tale. Um, Whereas you might have another story that's that's sort of more of a fairy tale themed story, mm-hmm. so it's it's got those familiar themes and sort of motifs, yeah. and and it might use the very very kind of barest bones mm-hmm. as a structure, but it'll it'll 
bring in, you know, completely different stuff or it might set it, you know, in the far future or you know, whatever. Yeah. You can still have a retelling that, that, you know, might be a science fiction version as opposed to a historical version. But, um, but I think it kind of, it, yeah, it depends on how much of that skeleton you use and how much of the sort of the, yeah, the trappings you bring in from the original. Yeah, I think that, that's like the fine line between a retelling and like a reimagining, I guess you'd think. Yeah, yes, um, yes. Like, Mar- I, think, I think like Marissa Meyer's books, like those to me feel yeah. reimagining-y with yes. taking the, the motifs yeah. and things like that. Yes. Um, okay, so when you were younger, what did you discover first from a fairy tale standpoint? Was it the dark, like the Grimm's fairy tales and all those things, or was it the Disney kind of happy ending stuff first, do you remember? Yeah, no, um, definitely for me, I'm I'm pretty sure I've actually been, was trying to think about this. Um, I can't exactly remember the first fairy tales that I read, but mm. I am, I know that, that Disney, the Disney fairy tales were ones that kind of came later for mm-hmm. me. So they certainly weren't the first versions of the stories mm-hmm. that I knew. And, and certainly, you know, when I was a kid, it's kind of a bit revealing, but when I was a kid, um, the only the only Disney the only Disney um, sort of fairy tale movies that had been made were Snow White, Cinderella, and, and Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Little Mermaid came out when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of didn't have that whole canon of Disney fairy tales yeah. um, to to grow up with. Um, uh, so for me, my earliest sort of experiences of fairy tales would have been versions of the grim ones mm-hmm. or maybe some little golden book versions or you know that, yeah. that sort of that sort of thing so um and then my my mother was um i was i was a very girly girl mm-hmm. um and but my mother is quite a strong feminist so there was a sort of a point in my childhood where i think she tried to expand my reading reading horizons and then realized very quickly that you know i i was never letting go of my fairy tales you know mm-hmm. i was going to hang on to those like grim death so she actually started buying me a whole lot of sort of um i i, I guess you'd call them sort of feminist you know either either collections of feminist fairy tales mm-hmm. or feminist retellings or or even sort of um you know stories for kids that were like fairy tales you know they had princes and princesses and dragons and curses and and, and and you know gnomes and towers and stuff, but they they were they were contemporary stories, so mm-hmm. they'd been they weren't traditional fairy tales, and and um and that was and and I guess that was you know just opened up this whole new world for me, which has actually been really uh, it's so rich and 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 one of the things I just love so much is that there are there's this huge kind of body of of fairy tales and folk tales that do centre you know, really strong, interesting female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so that was great. So I've, I've, um, so lots of, um, yeah, you know, I, I have, I have the, a, a big sort of, there were big, reading fairy stories was a huge part of sort of my childhood and, and young adult reading. So when you're writing, these kind of fairy tales now do you find yourself stepping away from those as a reader or are you able to kind of compartmentalize the stories that you're reading versus the ones that you're writing i know i know some people will read away from their genre while they're writing yeah yeah look um my i guess my thing is that if if 
So, for example, um, the one that I'm working on at the moment um, is a Cinderella-themed story. Um, I, I won't read any Cinderella-themed um, contemporary novels mm -hmm. um, for the next little while until I feel like I've sort of solidified my story just because um, I guess I guess I don't, I don't, I don't just want to kind of end up reinterpreting somebody else's. Sure. Um, but I will go back to original tales mm -hmm. and to um, and to this this you know this whole suite of sort of similar fairy tales to mm -hmm. Cinderella. Um, so I might go back and sort of um, read them for inspiration. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. And then I think I saw for the Beast's Heart. The is the audiobook. Is it Jim Dale who's doing the audiobook? Yes. Yes! Oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay, because I say, you mentioned Harry Potter earlier, and obviously, I mean, I have Harry Potter tattoos on my arm, so I'm right there with you. Like, did, oh, did awesome. you know that yep. that was going to be happening, or? Um, so, it's, it's it, um, no. Uh, <laughs> I, when I found out, I was very excited. So, basically, um, my, uh, wonderful publisher, um, in the US, so Penguin Random House, um, said to me, um, uh, they contacted me just before Christmas actually to say we're going to be doing an audio book so um, you know give us um, you know what are you how, how are you thinking you know what's your sort of thoughts on the kind of narrator you would like to mm -hmm. be and of course you know <laughs> you sort of you sort of think about all the, all the, of course you think about all the top shelf narrators mm -hmm. first, but what I did was I sort of went through, um, I listened to a whole bunch of samples of um, Penguin Random House audiobooks that had been narrated by blokes just so I could sort of have a think about the kind of person that I wanted and, uh -huh. and you know, I, I sent I sent um, my producer some sort of thoughts on the kind of person and she came back and she said, oh, Think, what about Jim Dale? I think I think he's interested. I was like, I am not going to say no. Right. It was it was a very exciting moment. So, I, yeah. I just feel like that would be one of those times where you kind of have to try and play it cool, where you like you can't say yes right away. You have to be like, yeah, that sounds like that's not a bad bad idea. Yeah. Tell me about his credentials. What other work has he done? <laughs> so he played how many characters in the Harry Potter series? I, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I thought, I thought, you know, as I said, your mind goes to the top shelf readers, and you think, oh, he'd be fantastic, and then you go, no, no, I'll probably, you know, just someone with a British accent would be great, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, have you gotten to hear any clips or anything yet? Uh, uh, no, not yet. I did. Um, I did again just before Christmas. I had to. Um, <laughs> it was hilarious. I had to um, give them uh, some. Uh, on some French pronunciations of oh, words, yeah. mm -hmm. which it, the reason it's hilarious is because I do not speak French. So <laughs> I had to go and oh, <laughs> I had to go and um, bother my best friend who does speak French and say, "Sarah, please help me." <laughs> so, oh, that's I was actually going to ask that because there is a lot of you know there's not like an overwhelming amount of French in here, but there's enough French yeah. where I was wondering a little a little bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was and that was yes. I'm very very grateful to my lovely friend Sarah who did <laughs> did I every now and then I'd be like, how do you say goodbye in French? And she'd give me here, here are your options and here's what they mean and yeah. So 
Thank you, Sarah. I love you, Sarah. Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. Um, okay, so towards the end of our interviews, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine. So just nine kind of lighthearted questions that we ask all of our authors. Uh, we used to awesome. we used to call these rapid fire, but I get on lots of tangents, and so our listeners would always write in like, "Please stop using that term, Adam. It's not what they are." <laughs> um, so the first one is, "What's the last book you finished reading?" Ah, uh, um, ah, uh, you've got me. It was just before Christmas. Um. Do you know what? I, I'm not actually sure what the last book was because I read heaps just before Christmas. But okay. um, I, uh, I I did uh, read the second book of Catherine Arden's um, uh, Winter Night trilogy yeah. um, just before Christmas, and loved that. So I'm, and I think that the third book is just about to come out. So I'm awesome. quite excited. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Couch, mm-hmm. but you know I'll read anywhere. Bus. Mm-hmm. Under my desk at work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you remember the book that made you kind of fall in love with reading as a child? Do you know what? I think it might have been Enid Blyton's um, Enchanted Wood. Mm -hmm. I think that, I'm pretty sure that's the first chapter book my mother ever read to me. Mm -hmm. And I was really concerned because it didn't have pictures. (laughs) And and my mother was like, no, no, just just sit down and just listen. and, And, you know, of course... I, pro- I was probably like, I don't know, like maybe five or something at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of it, you know, just one more chapter, mummy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, do you, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Um, actually, oh, this is a confession, uh, France. Mm-hmm. I, like I've written this whole book set in France and I have not been there. Yeah. So I, I would love to go. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um, look, uh, I'm not particularly religious, but I love Christmas mm-hmm. just because, you know, everybody has Christmas off, everybody's relaxed, everybody's chill here, um, and I love Christmas food, mm-hmm. so, um, and, and I guess it's, you know, um, trying to be a bit non-denominational about it. You know, there's also other holidays that sort of happen around that time of year, so mm-hmm. everybody's generally in a pretty kind of chilled-out holiday yeah. kind of frame of mind, so yeah. Absolutely. Um, coffee or tea? Uh, both. Um, both work. I'm fueled by tea. I have I have several cups of tea a day, and, and tea is essential when I'm writing, but I do have you know usually at least one just really good cup of coffee a day yeah i know the answer to this one but cats or dogs uh look i have to say dogs Mm -hmm. just because yeah my poor dog would be very disappointed in me otherwise (laughs) i was gonna say especially since you told me you had to kick him out of the room before we started this i understand (laughs) he's a bit snuffly (laughs) yeah um do you have a favorite food uh look food in general honestly um (laughs) One of life's greatest pleasures. Oh, <laughs> Tiramisu is great. Anything with chocolate in is awesome. Um, I'm a huge fan of vegetables, so roast eggplant. Oh, my God. I yeah. love tiramisu <laughs> and vegetables. I was not expecting yep. those two together. <laughs> um, and then the, the last one of these, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, wow. Do you know what? 
I'm going to be really sentimental and say my dad. Yeah. He passed away when I was 18 and I would love to catch up with him again and tell him all about his grandkids and, yeah. you know, where I'm at in my life. So That's yeah. a perfect answer. Um, okay, last question for you before I let you go. What do you hope readers take away from reading The Beast's Heart? Like I said, I I wrote it because I wanted to go and lose myself in a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. So if um, if people who enjoy it enjoy it because they've you know found a book that that can create a little world for them that they can just go and live in for a little while while they read it, I'll be happy. I'm a happy author. <laughs> That's perfect, Liv. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's okay. It was really fun. Lovely to meet you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling and all in approximately seven minutes.